Our message is from the book of Deuteronomy today. You might say, Deuteronomy? What is in Deuteronomy? A lot of good things are in Deuteronomy. You should read it sometime. It's a wonderful book. The book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Bible, chapter 6. This is where we will be today. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. And this is an important book of the Bible because this is Moses' last message to his people before he left to go die on Mount Pisgah. Because if you remember right, he was not allowed to go into the promised land because of not, uh, of not honoring God before the people that time at the rock where he hit it again when he was supposed to speak to it. Well, he, ha- he could not go into the promised land, and so he had to let this people go in without him. And so imagine this scene while he's speaking these words. The aged leader giving this last message to the nation that he loves, but which has also caused him great grief. He is anxious because this nation's history is dark with so many rebellions and failures, including the most recent one, which was uh, instigated by Balaam and the people of Moab. He wants to make sure that he does everything he possibly can to instill love and obedience to God in the hearts of the people before he leaves to die. And those who are uh, aged among us can confirm that this is one of the most important things in this stage of life. When you get toward this stage, there are two all-consuming things for the Christian. How is my relationship with the Lord and what legacy am I leaving? God put this urgency uh, in Moses' heart, and he inspired him to, to compose Deuteronomy as a renewal of the covenant with his people. This is such an interesting book. Some of, so a lot of times we just don't realize how much is hidden in the books of the Bible. If you look at how Deuteronomy is even structured, it is structured exactly like how covenants were structured back way back in the day during the time of Moses. It, it includes some interesting things, some historical uh, information on the past relationship between the two parties. It includes laws that must be obeyed, blessings and curses, witnesses, and a plan for recording and regularly reading of the covenant. This is such an interesting book because it is God's covenant. It's quite a long covenant, but it's God's covenant with his people, and Moses was renewing it. This book is this covenant with God's people. It's so interesting, and, and Moses is giving it as the, last, as the last thing that he's going to do. Moses was fulfilling his legacy as God's spokesman to renew the covenant with his people before they entered the promised land, but it was also incredibly important for this new generation that he was speaking to, because almost everyone that had come out of Egypt had died by this time. This was a new generation, and they needed to know that they must successfully transmit the keeping of the covenant to the generation after them. And that's why uh, you know this important thing was included in this covenant, because it's not only for them, it's, it hasn't diminished over the millennia, 
It's important for us today as Christians to ensure that we keep the faith alive in the next generation. This is why God inspired Moses to not only write this big covenant, uh, but also to include a reminder for each one of us, parent or not, educator or not, it is for each one of us. If we are Christians, if we are God's people, it's for us. We find it in chapter 6, and you are already there. I'm going to, I'm going to start at verse 1, though, a little bit before our scripture reading. The, the, the scripture says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God and to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, the Lord God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Now this book has a lot of commandments in it. Uh, but the most recent context is in chapter 5, where Moses has just finished retelling the Ten Commandments. And you should read it sometime, because they're, especially the Sabbath commandment, it's a little bit tweaked, and it gives another side to the Sabbath commandment, but that's not where we're going today. These Ten Commandments, are they cover all the other ones that Moses writes, and, and they are the simplified boundaries of the covenant. God didn't give these commands like some rulers when they made covenants back in this time. They gave rules just to show that they were in charge, that you had to give them tribute and you had to do all these things because they were the more powerful one. But, but we find from this text that God doesn't give these commands just to show that he's in charge. He doesn't give these commands to exercise unreasonable authority. It's clear from the text that he gave these commands to the people for their good. He gave the commands to the people so that their days would be prolonged. Do you want your days to be prolonged? I do. That things would generally go well with them, and that so he could fulfill the promise of multiplying them greatly with the keeping of God's law is bound up the well-being of all the creatures he has made, including us. And it is out of love that God gives these commandments, and it is out of love that he wants us to keep them too. Because verses 4 through 6 say, Hear, O Israel, and you are Israel today, by the way, Jew, ethnically or not, you are spiritual Jews, you are spiritual Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You know, I heard a story of a little boy who... He disobeyed one of his mother's commandments. Now, I know that has never happened to any of the mothers in this room. So I know you might not be able to identify with this story, but try as, as hard as you can. This uh, little boy, he, he, he disobeyed one of his mother's commandments. And the mother's, the consequence she would give him is that he had to sit in this certain chair 
in timeout. And so she told him, go to timeout and sit down. No, I'm not going to sit down. Being defiant. Okay, well, let's see what we can do about this. I'm your mother. Sit down in that chair. You disobeyed, and now this is your consequence. I'm not going to sit down. Okay, well, until he gets a little bit older, I'm stronger than him. So I'm going to make him sit down. And so the mother gets him and <clears throat> makes him sit down in the chair because he disobeyed. And the little boy sits there with arms crossed. Mom thinks, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Uh, discipline is happening. He is getting the point. He's going to get it. And as the little boy looks back at his mother who is trying to teach him right from wrong, the little boy looks up and says, I'm still standing in my heart. <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's the, the difficulty with discipline, is that it's hard to make it into that heart sometimes. But that's what God wants to do with each one of us. He doesn't want it to be that we are still standing in our hearts and begrudgingly uh, keeping the commandments. We are to keep these commandments of the covenant out of love and thankfulness to him because we know that they are for our good. They're keeping us safe. They're keeping us safe. He wants, he wants us to pass on this love and obedience also to the people after us, the future generations. We are called as a people to have and impart a spiritual heart. We are called to have and impart a spiritual heart. Verses 7 through 9, our last verses in, in this section, highlight the need to impart the spiritual heart. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands. You shall, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Yes, amen. What's the key to imparting a spiritual heart to the future generations? Constant exposure to God and his teachings. Constant exposure. We are to talk to them in every possible location and on every possible occasion. We are to do and think according to the commands. Now, I'm sure that when I read the whole binding them on your hand and putting them around, you know, as frontlets between your eyes, which is a band on your forehead, well, you might be thinking, have mercy. Do I really have to hang something from my forehead and write something, have something on my hand? Well, the, the Jewish people took this two different ways. Some people took it literally, and they did have, have a headband with things written on it, and they also had it on their hand. Some took it spiritually, meaning that you had to do and you had to think according to the laws. And I kind of see this as an inverse, a, a, an opposite of the beast, uh, mark of the beast in Revelation, where you receive a mark in your hand and on your forehead. It really means that you're doing and thinking according to the beast. Well, this says do and think according to the Lord. Do and think according to the Lord. So our thoughts and actions should be consistent with this covenant in order to give a proper example to those after us. And then finally, 
you see that we are to put reminders in prominent locations. We are to, you know, and, and we do this all the time. We have sticky notes on our fridge. We have calendars with things written on them. We have paintings. We have all sorts of things that we can put around where it, it doesn't seem overt, but it's there. And when you walk through, I know a lot of people put things in their bathrooms, you know, and little uh, scripture verses, just different things, putting things in prominent locations so that we will see and remember we need to have and impart a spiritual heart. And this comes through constant exposure. It's a law. It's a law of human development that whatever is on the mind will eventually make it to the heart. What we, what we take in through our senses, what we ponder through our thoughts, become part of the character. This is why God gave us these examples of how to consistently expose the next generation, the children, to his teachings. And this was back way in the day, you know, that expression back in the day. Well, this is back in the day before yesterday, you know, whatever you want to call it. This was a, this is a few millennia ago. So, you know, that, that's a while. But back then, and in most of human history, parents or children were not separated from their parents for lengthy periods throughout the day as they are today. Children were with their mothers as they labored at home until they were able to be productive and to help. And so then, you know, little girls would help the moms at home and then, and then just not far away, the, the little boys would help the dad at the trade, that, you know, whatever it happened to be. Um, and, and, and parents didn't have to, to do work that their children couldn't help with at that point because it was more centered on survival. It was manual labor. Children were actually valued because many hands make light work and many hands produce more product. And so that's why in the Bible you'll see people having lots of kids. You're like, have mercy. I don't know how I could have that many kids. Well, that's because society is a little bit different, and it's harder to have kids than it was then. Kids were helpful uh, in every part of life, not just at home, but in the job, too. In making a living, the children would help. They didn't have, I guess, the same labor laws as they do today for, for the home. So, um, but, but, you know, I'm not advocating against labor laws, uh, just to let you know. All right. So I don't want anybody, I don't want to have a police car come to my home. But uh, anyway, however, children today are separated from their parents for the biggest, arguably the biggest chunk of the day to be at daycare or school so the parents can work. Now, you know, with the jobs the way they are nowadays, children would be a hindrance to work because most of the things that you do are kind of specialized and everything, and they can't just, you know, write up a big report for the boss, Right. You know, they, they can't do some of those things that you can do. And most jobs won't allow your kids to come to work anyway, unless it's a special bring your kid to school day. You know, they have to have that nowadays. So in order to make a living, right, children must be placed in the care of someone else while the parents work unless one stays at home in the formative years and then later homeschools. Your children is in the care of someone else. Now, I... I just, as I was thinking about this text, I started thinking, now, just how much of the day are children somewhere else? And so I was, I was trying, you know, someone's going to say, that isn't exactly my situation, but just, you know, I'm trying to do a, a you know, a, a, an average, just an example. So I tried to pick a certain amount of hours a day during the week that a child might be awake, all right, because sleeping doesn't count as quality time. 
So I said maybe about 15 hours a day, all right? Your child may be awake less than that, but about 15 hours a day. And children are at school anywhere between 7 to 10 hours of that day, depending on how long they stay at after-school programs before the, the, before the parents can come pick them up. So this means that children spend 47 to 67 percent of their day, Monday through Friday, away from the parent, away from we as a church, right? Because we don't see them during the week. We see them on Sabbath, but this is during the week. Now, if you take the average of that percentage, you go maybe 57% or something, then, and you put it against the whole week. Now, this is counting today and tomorrow. This is counting the weekend. If you put it against all the awake hours of the whole week, that's still 40% of the entire week, even counting the, the days when they're off of school. That's a long time. That's a long time especially in light of the Deuteronomy commandment. And we don't, you know, we're not going to get too deep into how hard it actually is to talk to your kids about God a lot when you're actually with them because, you know, after a long, exhausting day of work or when you have to wake up before the crack of dawn to get things together, it's not so easy to say, come here, uh, little buddy, little, little lady, let me talk to you about the Lord. It's hard because you're tired, right? You don't always feel like it. So, but, but, you know, so how are we going to fulfill the command to have and impart a spiritual heart? Now, you might be saying, Pastor Scott, what's the matter with you? Are you trying to discourage us? Are you trying to, to make us feel sad and worried? No, of course not. I'm not here to discourage anybody. Uh, I'm just presenting the reality of the situation for a purpose. My point is to motivate us to be very picky about where we send our children when they're away from us. Because even if we're working hard, even if you work every other moment you're with them to instill this love and obedience to God, you're still losing out on about half the time that they're awake. This is a lot. That means you're directly battling against another half, possibly, you don't really know what's happening all the time in that other half of the time. Now, as you've heard this morning and as you've heard before, we are starting a Seventh-day Adventist school across the, across the parking lot in our fellowship building. And as far as I know, this will be the only Adventist school in, within a two-hour radius of this church. That's quite a ways. That's quite a ways. And the exciting thing about this is that this isn't only going to be supported by our church. This is going to be supported by Maranatha and Fellowship churches as well. There are two other churches in our community. Now, they happen to be under a different conference than our church, and of course still Adventist, but under a different administrative conference at that level. And this is so cool because the Florida Conference Vice President for Education believes that this will be the first successful cross-conference school in the history of the North American division of our denomination. Now, that's pretty amazing. You know, God is making, and I, and I notice I say God, God is making history in our town in our city, our church, God is making history. But not only is he making history, 
He is providing an opportunity for your child, grandchild, friend's child, fellow church member's child to have an education that is uniquely Adventist too. It'll be the closest thing by God's grace to you being able to stay with your children and personally pass along your faith. It will be, by God's grace, the closest thing. This opportunity isn't just one among many competing for your child. It's the opportunity. It's the opportunity to recover that 47 to 67 percent of the time that they're either at school in daycare, after school programs, before school programs. It's the opportunity to give the best chance for these Seventh-day Adventist beliefs and worldview to be passed on to your child. It's the opportunity for you to invest in imparting a spiritual heart to our children. And notice I say our children, because even if this child may not go home with you today, they're still your child in the faith. We all have a responsibility and a special charge from God to do whatever we can whatever is within our means to give our influence, our time, our money, whatever it is to ensure that the children among us grow up having the faith, the covenant of the Lord in their hearts and so that they grow on to carry the torch. Yes, it doesn't matter if you have a child or not, if you have a grandchild or not, if you have friends with children or not, you're a part of this community and there are children. There are children, and there are children outside of this this uh, special church community. You could, uh, it doesn't matter if, if you don't have the children of your own, because you could help sponsor a part of a child's tuition. And we've already had people say that they would do that. So praise God for that, because it's not free, right? You can give to the church budget, which funds the school as well. Give to specific fundraisers, because you'll be hearing ding, ding, ding. Fundraiser coming up because that's what happens with schools. You raise money because you want to do important things for the children, for the Lord. You uh, could volunteer your time and much, much more. Much, much more. We are embarking on one of the most major ministries that a church can have. We are embarking on something that is huge, and we need each one's heart to be in it. We need your heart to support in whatever way you can. We need everyone on board to make the blueprint for Adventist education a success here in Tallahassee. We need to make the blueprint come alive. Across America... There are 55 million children in school today, kindergarten through high school, and nearly 4 million of them attend a faith-based school, a school operated by a religion or faith group. One of the largest faith-based school systems belongs to the Seventh-day Adventists. It's really a tough neighborhood. Anything can happen to them. I'm like an anger issue girl, so when, I, when people get me mad, you I can't control myself. Shootings, many times we have had, but our students have been protected, they have been safe. We don't have to teach them a spiritual vacuum. We can answer to basic questions that they all have. The most important approach that I see in our Adventist system collectively is that we teach to the whole person. We took as a motto, creative education, that honors the creator. The children 
are inherently linked with nature because we are created by God and we're created in His image. Students in Adventist schools performed above the national average. Adventist education very much emphasized the Bible, but it also emphasized what today we would call vocational education. The education had to have a practical purpose. A lot of the Navajo people weld and actually are very known worldwide as being good welders. I always felt like because of coming from the reservation, because my skin was darker, because I was Native American, that I was less than everybody else. At one time we, there were 50 students or more. Right now it's nine. So unless we let others around us know the great possibilities that there is for their child here, we will eventually die. Edson knew that if he stayed in one place, he would have been tarred, he may have been lynched, hurt, murdered, who knows what would have happened. From that little boat, the Morning Star boat, all of these people wound up here at Oakwood. One of our core values is community service. To just try to reach out to people and give them what they need. A good school is, is actually a community that at its very best a student would hate to graduate from. You, you hope that you influence a, a, a student like into the next year. Our hope is to influence students for eternity. Are you Seventh-day Adventist? Yes. Are you vegetarian? Yes. I'm a pescatarian. I eat fish. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm a pescatarian. Anyway, friends, you can see the beauty of what we're trying to do here. We're bringing this blueprint to life in the city. And we want as many children to have this blessing as possible. You see, because the essence of what we need to do as a people is to pass along this, this faith, this love and obedience to the Lord to the next generation. And mom, you do it every day. And dad too, but we'll talk, we'll talk, we'll talk about you next month. You, you're all right. I'm with you. Um, but, uh, but mom, you do it every day. Church members, you do it every Sabbath at least, if not during the week when you see people outside of church. And we do it through this formal education in a school. So we're trying to cover all of our bases. We don't want to leave out 50% of a child's time. We don't want them to, to just have a chance. We want them to have the best chance. You see, you can, you can pass this along through your family worship, spiritual conversations, motherly, fatherly influence, church activities, and church school. These things help us fulfill the command to have and impart a spiritual heart. And so my question for us today is how will we fulfill the command? What is God calling you to do as a parent, as a church member, whatever your situation is? What is God calling you to do to be part of this movement, not just for the school, the school's a part of it, this movement to instill in the next generation love and obedience toward our Lord? 
how will we fulfill the command to have and impart a spiritual heart?